Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian-developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The following is a presentation of the Four Center podcast feed. From the center of the galaxy, this is the Four Center podcast feed. This is our deep dive episode. We are broadcasting to you live from the briefing room of a big Mon Cala cruiser. And I'm Joseph Scrimshaw. And I'm Ken Napsuck. And I'm in that briefing room excited to be talking about romance versus realism in Star Wars. Oh, we are going into what Star Wars is or is to you. It's going to be fun. And I, as I sit right now in this briefing room, don't even know the things I'm going to answer with. (laughs) That's where my mind is right now. Before we get to all that exciting stuff, today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash 4Center. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, 
or MP3 player. And here now is our Force Center Recommends, an audiobook we think you should try out on us, Joseph. That's right. We are recommending Thrawn Ascendancy, colon, Chaos Rising, Ascending, Rising. This book has it all. Everything's going up. It is, of course, by Timothy Zahn. It is the first book in a new Thrawn trilogy uh, in the next uh, couple weeks. We don't know exactly when. We're going to give some people some time to read it, to listen to it on Audible, and then we'll be doing a big discussion. So to download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash center. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash center for your free audiobook Go get some ascendancy and some rising and a side of chaos from Thrawn on us. <laughs> it's all there. Go to a diner and order a side of chaos and just see what happens. What fun that would be. I'm very excited to talk about this, Ken. This has been on my list of things to talk about for a long time because I realize it is a filter through which I think about Star Wars and talk about Star Wars. I bring it up every once in a while on the podcast, but I thought it'd be really great uh, to dive in. I think there are a lot of different lenses that uh, you can look at Star Wars through, and in particular, a lot of different dualities. You can look at it from the new and the old. You can look at it from the stories of good and evil. You can look at it from the stories of the the Force users and then all the other, you know, the smugglers and the politicians and the bounty hunters. You can divide uh, Star Wars and look at it through all sorts of different lenses. But I'm really fascinated by this lens of uh, romance versus realism. And we're going to discuss exactly what that means, uh, the balance between romantic and realistic in Star Wars, what we enjoy, what challenges us, and what we would like to see going forward. So um, I'd like to start with a thesis, Ken. Can I start with a thesis? Please do, sir. Please do. Okay, so just very big picture. This is what I personally mean by romance versus realism in Star Wars. So... Star Wars comes out in 1977, uh, later called A New Hope, and it has a balance of romance, not uh, meaning just generally uh, romantic relationships, but the larger definition of romance, of adventure stories and mystery. It has this balance of romance and realism, how things actually function, what they're for, uh, what kind of careers people have, all that kind of stuff. It's got a balance of romance and realism. But in general... That first movie felt mythic, otherworldly, a fable from long ago. And then over time, as the galaxy of Star Wars is fleshed out, more and more bits of logic and practicality have been introduced. Um, things like uh, taxation of trade routes in The Phantom Menace. Uh, in the books and comics, you hear a lot about CAF, the Star Wars version of coffee. Uh, you learn that the Star Wars galaxy has holovids, basically uh, television shows. So when you really compare the romance of how people perceived a new hope back in the day with what the reality of star Wars is now, you get this great contrast back in like the late seventies, Obi-Wan Kenobi was a mythical, mysterious Jedi warrior. And now Obi-Wan Kenobi can be all those things, but he can also be someone who drinks coffee, watches sitcoms and worries about his tax returns. That's the tension I'm talking about. Everything from mystical warrior who taps into a not fully knowable thing called the force and then goes and has strange adventures versus somebody that we know what they eat for lunch, <laughs> somebody who we know how they might vote politically, all these kind of just really real world things. I actually don't know how Obi-Wan would vote, but we could have that discussion <laughs> because the world's been fleshed out enough. So what is your 
just uh, we're going to dive into like the actual definition definition of romance and realism. So we're all on the same page of what we're discussing. But just starting from from my thesis there, what's your gut take on that idea, romance and realism in Star Wars? Man, my, my gut take is wonderful confusion of my own interests. Uh, and that's where when you pitched this and you had this on our document of things to get to. And it, and, and, I, and I say this respectfully, I think, you know, I've worked long enough with you. I was like, yeah, 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 that sounds good. Yeah, we can get to that one. <laughs> and then I get your notes and see where you really wanted to take this. But then it, it caused me to look inward. And I always say there's no right or wrong way to watch Star Wars unless uh, you once pointed out, Joseph, so well, if you're rooting for Palpatine, you might you might have some. Maybe, maybe you're watching it wrong, but how we take it in, it's just, it's just what you take. I always have, have said, like, I'm not a, I'm not a sci-fi fan. I'm a Star Wars fan. And what that means is I, you know, I just, I am here for the romance of it, the, the fable, but I, I've grown to really appreciate the details because maybe I'm all in on this world. Uh, you know, I, I do understand and probably was leading the charge at one point of the pushback against midi-chlorians. But at the same time, in this galaxy, something would be. There's something that exists, and it's this real thing. And when used, used properly, it does it fleshes out the magic to me in a good way. It, it can be done wrong. Maybe midichlorians is an example of it definitely wasn't popular. Um, <laughs> so I have a tendency to be like, oh, I am all in on the fables. But then I get excited over Clone Wars episodes in which Padme is talking about blockades and trade allocation and all this stuff. So I've grown or something's changed or it was always there. And I, I think when done right, that, that big old kind of its own mythical, you know, the execution of the, of the idea, when it's done right, I think it all feeds into one. Um, but it's a thin, delicate line at times. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I would tend to agree with you that it is really about striking the right balance because Star Wars does have both of these elements. Um, and I think a lot of it comes down to taste. Uh, what yeah. just the kind of people we are because Star Wars fans uh, lean from everything who are like to people who are like I'm really interested in how the ideas of the force reflect all of the actual um, real world philosophies of spirituality all the way to people like I'm all about the incredible cross sections and I want to know how every piece of machinery on the Falcon works right part of it is just that we're different and we gravitate toward different uh, ends of that spectrum but I'm always fascinated with Spectrum because I feel like a lot of the conversations that I have with people where they really dislike something in Star Wars, it's because it either leans so far to the romantic that they don't feel like they have a practical answer or it's because it uh, leans so far to like, here is the exact specific answer that it uh, robs it of romance. And a lot of the times that I hear somebody frustrated about it, my instinct is to ask like, well, do you lean a little bit more to liking this part of Star Wars or that part of Star Wars? Uh, so I'm really happy to be able to dive into this. Um, I think I personally lean toward the romance. And I do think that that is partially a function of growing up with the original trilogy. Because I think original trilogy, while it has practical stuff, does lean towards the far more uh, mystical, right? Uh, Luke landing on Dagobah and it's dreamlike. And, you know, it's so Luke's hero's journey. There's all these things that make it very uh, mysterious and mythical. Uh, and then when we get to the prequels, it starts to be like, no, these are these are the real policies of the government and the hows and the whys and Jedi have utility belts and all that. And there's a very different stylistic uh, perspective. And then that radiates out uh, the balance between it radiates out all through Star Wars. Uh, but when I think of what I really, really like, I think it, I like it best when there are things 
that are very uh, realistic. Like they're just sort of, this is practical information about how these people function in the galaxy like real people would. And, you know, when I say realism, I'm always, you know, we do have to take it with a, <laughs> a big grain of salt because it is, you know, no matter what, there are space wizards with laser swords and, you know, a guy who flies his ship faster than light with his large dog friend as a co-pilot. <laughs> you know, there's, <laughs> yeah. there's a limit to what we mean by realism, and I understand that. But yeah. I think, like, an example for me is uh, Han being frozen in carbonite. What's the bounds there between romance and realism? Because on one hand, he's at a mining facility and this is how they ship perishable goods, right? That's kind of crunchy and real world, right? And Lando's worried about labor disputes and all this stuff that's very realistic that you can kind of map to like the real world. Uh, but there's something, even though it's Han Solo is, you know, being packed for shipping uh, is what's happening, yeah. which can sound kind of boring and mundane there's something so mysterious and romantic about it. It is a practical thing that's kind of realistic in an odd way, but it evokes the romantic and the mysterious. It's, um, it's, it doesn't feel like he got packed for shipping. That's what's practically happening. But what's happening on like a mythic emotional level is that he is frozen in a state between life and death. And we are emotionally affected because Han Solo is the picture of vitality. Right. And now he's frozen, unable to move. And that's just disturbing to us on like a visceral level that we don't even need to be able to uh, intellectualize in order mm -hmm. to be affected by. So I think that's when it really worked for me. When there's like a fun, like you can really dive deep and you can have a cross-section book that explains every element of carbon freezing to you. But mm -hmm. in story, it's used to tell something romantic and mysterious and mythic. Yeah, and it's summed up by Lando saying he's in perfect hibernation. Good answer. We got it. Move on to the story, you know? <laughs> yeah, I hit the buttons. I hit the glowy things. There's clearly technology there. There, You know, you can find out what every button on the side of the carbon freezing means, but the romantic idea is a hero suspended in animation halfway between life and death. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So, um, any any uh, thoughts on that before we move on? Um. <sighs> Again, it all comes down to you know, what, what you're drawn to. I'll, I'll bring in a timeless classic, Star Wars versus Star Trek. I think they're both trying to do, do the same thing. They're both trying to teach a lot of the same lessons. But Star Trek always was, in classic sci-fi sense, a real look back on our own, own world. But Star Wars is too. Uh, and, and just a real, real realistic scientific approach. It makes sense. You could look at Star Trek and go, yeah, this seems like it could be our future. and Let's let's sign up. Sign me up. I'm, I'm going to avoid saying beam me up. Then again, I just said it. Um, sign <laughs> me up. But I didn't gravitate towards that as a kid. I didn't. Uh, though I do Star Trek Four. I love Star Trek Six. Thinks really great. I think First Contact's really damn good. Uh, I didn't gravitate. I gravitated towards this total. I does not feel like a world I could be in. Does not feel like a world that I live in now. And it is knights. It is dragons. It is princesses. It is that base level thing. And so. I just want Lando to press a button and say it's all good and move on. And it's always going to be me. But then again, as we're going to find out, it goes in different spots. 
Excellent. Well, let's uh, let's go to some of those different spots. I think the Star Trek comparison is great because I think, yeah, Star Trek can uh, can sometimes just really be this is our possible future. But then also sometimes giant Abraham Lincoln head floats in space. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so sometimes there's a little bit of myth, uh, but it is different in that way of Star Trek is looking forward. Mm-hmm. Star Wars is a mythic story from long ago. And, and, and that does make a diff- big difference in romance versus realism uh, in those two shows. Uh, so let's talk about what we mean by romance and realism. So uh, here are two definitions of romance, one from Merriam-Webster. A prose narrative treating imaginary characters involved in events remote in time or place and usually heroic, adventurous, or mysterious. Mm. Does that sound like Star Wars to you? That special, yeah, well, all of it, but I was that mysterious one really kind of pops up as, oh, yeah, not having all the answers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, And then the Google Dictionary, just the thing that comes up when you just Google the word romance, uh, obviously there's the general, you know, uh, sex and dating version of romance, uh, but the one that we're after, the more literary one, Google Google Dictionary defines as a quality or feeling of mystery, excitement, and remoteness from everyday life. Mm. How does that grab you? Remoteness from everyday life. I love it. It's it's like when I feel as though I am chosen for the deli sandwich that is given to me. Like it it takes on a new meaning. <laughs> it's not just me in a car eating a sandwich. Uh, yeah, no, I love that there. Yeah, I, I really like that because I think that might get to uh, some of what people like about the romance. If they don't want to be brought out of the fantasy of Star Wars into feeling like it's too close to things in the real world is where that romantic feeling can be uh, disturbed. So given these definitions of romance, what is a favorite moment of just what you think is purely romantic in Star Wars? I'll tell you what, and and, and there's, a, there's a bigger purpose to this. I, of all of them, and there's a lot, I went to Ray climbing the steps on Octo, literally climbing the steps from nowhere and, and going into the center of the myth she once, once didn't believe was real. That Luke Skywalker was a myth line, and then at the end she's handing him the, the mythical hero Blade handing it out to him to me is still just this magical moment. It's, it's about a realistic growth of, of person of character, your journey forward. It's, I always say star Wars is about the hope of tomorrow being present today and your journey has already begun and you should take comfort in that. And she needs to learn that. And that to me as, as John Williams music soars and takes you up those steps and, and, and takes this girl from nowhere into the story where she's going to discover who she is and why she's here. That to me is just one of the best examples of Star Wars romance. Yeah, no, that's great. That's great. Because you, yeah, you with any of this, you could try to break it down to the practical and compare it to the real world of like, oh, yeah, everybody goes to a monastery to return a weapon to a fallen mm-hmm. master. Like, okay, I guess it could happen, but <laughs> there's a real uh, remoteness from everyday life, right? This is not a standard lost and found mission that uh, Ray is on. And you're right. It's so romantic of this, this incredibly hard to find place that is steeped in history. It's the first Jedi temple. And she is literally ascending from her mundane life to a, a mythic level and in walking, ascending into that story, ascending into the world of Jedi Knights, you know? Yep. So I think that's a great example of the purely romantic. Um, a couple that jumped out for me, uh, just Luke Skywalker being named Luke Skywalker, because mm-hmm. this is one of the discussions that always makes me think of the battle between romance and realism of people saying like, why on earth when his uh, father that they want to hide him from was a well-known hero of the Clone Wars, why would they give him the same last name? And 
you know, I like the headcanon that well because they, they love Shmi and they didn't want to have that legacy mm. taken away from him. But I always go like, well, because it's a myth, because it's it's romance. It's because do you really want him to be called Luke Stevenson? It's yeah. the Skywalker yeah. legacy. It's the Skywalker saga. He is the son of Skywalker and he is Skywalker. And that's like the one of those moments where the romance of Star Wars is more important than the realism in that instance. Love that you phrase that. It, 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 we, we, you do not want to sacrifice the romance to answer your plot hole question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I love your Ray example. One, my other ones that I was going to go to is Vader's Castle. Um, I had a great discussion with uh, uh, Pete from Star Wars Minute on Star Wars Minute, so you can listen to it. Pete uh, doesn't like it and, it, and it really broke down on this romance versus realism. He's like, Darth Vader has a Disney castle. Okay, uh, all right. And he's just got an evil wizard castle. And, like, and I was like, yeah, this is one of those great disagreements where we both see the exact same thing and you dislike it for exactly what it is. And I like it for exactly what it is because right. it is mythic. The Vader is this nightmare become real and he has a horrific foreboding castle uh, built, you know, looking down on the site of his greatest pain on a world that is tortured and exploding with lava. It is so mythic. It is so over the top, right? And then, you know, he ends up having a kind of practical conversation with Orson Krennic in it, but there's nothing practical about the layout of there. You know, just no rails. I mean, giant holes. We, we end up learning in the comic of, you know, it's, you know, some of its purpose. Um, mm. But again, to me, that's an example of if you really like the romance, you really want to lean into ideas like that of like, just if you had a nightmare about a frightening man in a castle, you know, it might look like that in your actual dreams. And it's not about realism. It's about romance. Yeah. That, I mean, that kind of, kind of, that puts a fine point on it there. You said uh, one scene, two different reactions and, and both coming from a very honest and truthful place for each, each person. And, and we know, you know, Pete's a great, great cat and big Star Wars fan. So it, 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 I'm sure that's shared by a lot of people, but yeah, for me, I'm right with you of, of, of number one, we'd always heard, you know, the rumors of Macquarie designed this, right? Wasn't Vader supposed to have a castle and empire to finally get that confirmation? Uh, you know, that me as a 10 year old had always been wondering was, was cool for me on another level, but also that the monster has his lair like, and that, and that worked for me. Uh, yeah. And, uh, yeah. It goes to that, goes to that, uh, this great debate. You're, you're killing it on the romance. The monster has its lair is a perfect way to say it. Uh, so let's move on to realism. Uh, here's how Merriam-Webster defines realism. The theory or practice of fidelity in art and literature to nature or to real life into accurate representation without idealization. Uh, Google Dictionary says the quality or fact of representing a person, thing, or situation accurately or in a way that is true to life. Uh, so for me, I think in Star Wars, what that really boils down to is does it does the story, do the characters, do the things they're doing, the tools they use, uh, all make sense in a way that we can relate to 
you know, either because it's a one-to-one match to something that is true of the real world, or it's because it's really that realism of we've built up a realism and this is how uh, hyperspace works. And then there needs to be a fidelity to that within the story of Star Wars because that's makes what makes Star Wars feel real within the fantasy. So all these different things that that I think are realistic in Star Wars, given that it's not a realistic world. So given these definitions for you, What's a favorite moment in Star Wars of the realistic? I think I'm playing more to the Google Dictionary one, and, and here was the second half of uh, my first answer. To me, uh, my favorite moment of Star Wars realism is Ray handing Luke the mythical hero's blade, but having him reject the call. <laughs> because the pain and the scars of his biggest failures uh, and failure is, is too much for him to deal with. And he doesn't want to take the call, and he is in a different spot of life. And Ray's mythical journey now has a giant obstacle in front of it and the romance that she caught herself up in. Uh, I, I'm, I'm from the resistance. Your sister sent me. Kylo Ren is a bad guy now and you must do something about it. Is now faced with a giant uh, bit of realism representing a person, thing, or situation accurately or a way that is true to life. And I think it's realistic uh, in, a, in a romantic way and part of the myth of Star Wars. Uh, there's some, you know, we can go through hyperspace or coordinates needed for all that kind of stuff. I, I think I, I have little examples of that along the way, but that is where my mind goes to. It's the two parts. It's the romance met with real purposeful realism. Mm, I like that because you're going to really emotional realism, which I think is yeah. this like, big tension um, in the transition from the original trilogy and the sequel trilogy. Some people really liked uh the myth of and they lived happily ever after they had a party with the Ewoks and they won and they lived happily ever after. And then the sequel trilogy uh, arguably introduces this emotional realism of like, no, their lives continue and they have great triumphs and horrible failures and, uh, and they are affected by those. And I love what you're saying that Ray would ascend uh, to meet this myth, this promised hero. And then the myth is like, sorry, I have PTSD. (laughs) And, and Ray's like, well, myths aren't what? myths don't have ptsd right yeah yeah and it becomes its own magical journey and it's in, in its own way anyways yeah but that's where i mean again that also is indicative of where my mind goes right and again there's along the ways there's little examples uh you know hyperfuel i love hyperfuel what it means but I, we, you and i love what hyperfuel represents to the star wars story and those are good examples too right hyperfuel is a great uh example of you yeah you can get into all the sort of uh realism details of you know exactly how is it used in the ship why haven't we heard of it before where will we hear of it again you know how, how does it work all that stuff but it also yeah it is also just a, a it's financially valuable so it is a means of freedom means of control means of freedom all those things um yeah. for myself i think where i get really fascinated with this is the prequel trilogy really introduces I think much more realism. And one of my favorite examples of realism that I really enjoy in star Wars is told through the prequel trilogy movies, but even more so in the clone Wars animated series of uh, how does Palpatine actually take control that he slowly uh, subverts the mechanisms of the actual democracy. We know that well, but then the clone Wars animated series tells us all of these just like great straightforward details of that can be mapped to one-to-one earth history throughout the ages of who controls institutions, who controls resources. He takes over uh, the banks. He takes over the entire financial system. Uh, he takes over the courts. Uh, he you know, makes a little play there at the end to uh, take over the uh, Jedi Council itself. I don't think he really intends to ever take it over. I think he intends to, you know, 
quickly destroy mm-hmm. it, which he does. But it's still this very real world tale of, well, uh, we as humans, we invest our powers in institutions. And if somebody can take those institutions, they can kind of take our power. And it's very, very real world. It's very realistic in a way that we didn't have that same kind of storytelling. That kind of storytelling was just on the edges of the original trilogy. And here in the prequel trilogy, it's kind of the center. Mm, yeah, that's a that's a wonderful example. Uh, it, it is it is the shadow uh, gathering uh, power and, and evil, uh, you know, taking over. But it but done in a <laughs> as George will tell you here. Here's how it could and maybe in some cases did happen. Uh, that's a great example. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think when I think about the realism a lot, too, we're going to talk about how it represents or presents itself in different uh, uh, movies and TV shows. But I think about the books and the comics a lot because they spend so much time with the characters they kind of introduce us to super realistic things so we get down to that point of like one of my favorite bits of realism is the uh, solo novelization where uh chewy takes that shower and uses all of lando's nice shampoo right <laughs> <laughs> yes and to think back uh from again growing up with an original trilogy perspective yes there are moments of realism but but it and overall has that sense of romance that sense of we're not getting the details of what they you know, eat and drink or, you know, where their money comes from or any of this kind of real world fiddly details. So to think that there was ever be a day where I would be thrilled to know that, yeah, there's a shower on the Falcon. Of course, Lando has really nice uh, shampoo and conditioner. And of course, Chewie would use it, you know, but it, it takes these mythic heroes, you know, the smuggler and the mighty Wookiee, and it brings them down to this. Talk about something super relatable and earthbound. You know, going over to your friend's house and using their fancy shampoo is totally earthbound, right? Uh, yeah, I, I had a friend years ago st- stayed over because he had we we had a f- too crazy of a night, and we came back from a comedy show, and he slept on the couch. And in the morning, he ate all he ate all my waffles. <laughs> I wasn't even up yet. He ate my waffles, Joseph. <laughs> right, and you you can turn that into a mythic story. We can learn lessons about who we trust and who we don't. The you know, well, the I, epic of Napsok's missing waffles could be made to be mythic or epic, or it could just be like, I I like the myth of Ken. I don't want to know that he eats waffles every morning, you know? <laughs> and I have turned that into the tale of the day Tom stole my waffles. But yes, um, yeah, uh, good good point. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Right. So, uh, so going forward, we're going to be discussing the romance uh, versus realism, and I think with a, hopefully a little bit of clarity of exactly what we mean by that. So I, I want to go back to investigating the original film, Ken. So mm-hmm. going back to uh, New Hope, there was definitely an effort uh, that's been well recorded to make Star Wars feel lived in. And that means that things are old and beaten up, but it also means that the technology looks like it has a practical purpose. What do you yeah. think the balance of romance and realism is in the very first film, why did that lived-in idea work so well? What speaks to you in A New Hope? I think it works so well because this this world that George built and, and styles and uh, you know paying odes to other films and all that kind of stuff. Not not factoring that into, but just just into this. But George creating this wonderful world where you, you don't it's it's not you don't pay attention to it. It's not super active. It's just there and you accept it. The infamous blue milk or, or famous blue milk, depending on your point of view, like 
you just accept that Aunt Beru's got some space Tupperware and making some drink and it's a space movie. So it wouldn't be my milk. It'd be blue, right? You're not thinking about it. You're not thinking about Luke's having breakfast. Uh, you're just lost in this giant world. And, and, and that lived in, it's funny that I, when I read this in the notes this morning, like that lived in thing, it's all, it's all what you've described. And it can sometimes, I don't know, it's similar to gritty to me. Like I'm, I am a, actually a big fan of Nolan's Batman series. I, I love it. And I love that it is gritty. Right. And, and Batman himself at times can be the dark Knight, Right. I, I get it. But I think that we can get caught up in that a lot where I don't even think Nolan would, Maybe there's an interview that disagree, disagrees with the point. <laughs> I, 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 you know, I don't think Nolan, he's such a Lucas for that. a great interview with Lucas that he has on, on YouTube. I, I don't think he even would mean it to be like dark and gritty. He's still telling this giant mythical tale with moral lessons in it and asking these questions, you know, here and there. Um, just Lucas did such a great job. You don't, you know, it's, it's not, you could just easily misunderstood like, oh, lived in means rust on the spaceship. No, it means you can see how I would have breakfast like that too, while chasing my journey. <laughs> but any of that makes sense. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I'm interested in the Nolan comparison because uh, n- not to just turn it into a Batman center, but like Nolan's a great example where he is definitely interested in huge, big mythic ideas of, you know, what, what does it mean to be a vigilante and, you know, what do people deserve versus what they need? And, you know, will you live long enough? Uh, if you're a hero, will you eventually become a villain? He's, definitely interested in mythic ideas but he's also very concerned in batman begins of making sure every tiny little bit of batman's costume makes sense uh, mm-hmm. and you know go back to one of these quotes has some fidelity to real life um do you feel like that kind that that is going on in a new hope or the original trilogy in general that there is a concern that those lived in details have a fidelity to real life <sighs> Is there a cons- No, I just, I mean, funny, I'm going to the Nolan. I saw someone tweet just this weekend about Nolan. I haven't seen Tenet. I didn't drive out to Vegas with, you know, to, to risk seeing it or whatever has been going on. But I saw <laughs> someone, I think a friend of ours, so I'm not calling this person. It's not a subtweet or anything. I'm just, uh, it was fascinating. And I didn't realize how it would relate to this. But they're like, I remember where we thought Interstellar was going to give us these big scientific answers about the universe, but we'd learned that the universe was powered by love, right? Which is kind of a funny, snarky kind of tweet. But that's, that's what Star Wars is doing too. It's it's using all this 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 faraway galaxy and this hyperspace and and all these things, but to, to get to this base level message, I don't know. I, I may be taking us off the path here, but but uh, I, I just I, I still think that's what Lucas was trying to do in the original trilogy. I I need to use a world you're familiar with in this space world. I need to tie you to some reality so you can put yourself there. But I, I'm I don't know. My message is beyond that i don't know i'm losing my train of thought here george no i think uh i think this is a very jedi moment where you think you are off the path uh but i think you are exactly on the path you're exactly where you need to be uh (laughs) yeah i mean if i was in charge you'd you'd have passed your jedi trials a long time ago Uh, and and i hope i would have passed your jedi trials um but no i think that's kind of what it gets to to me is those ideas are there, but they are there to serve this more mythic romantic purpose in yeah. the original trilogy. I think that we, he, he, all of the creators involved want Luke to be relatable, right? So he's a farm boy and there's clearly technology. He has chores. He has a ship, which is like a car that you could race around on and feel uh, free in. Then he has an actual car with a land speeder. He has a toy. 
<laughs> of this guy yeah. hopper he, so like there's a bunch of relatable stuff you can get the sense of who he is i got to sit down for a family meal and you know kind of have a little fight with his family about what his destiny is going to be and all those details are there they feel lived in enough so that you can relate to him and understand him but when you're watching the film what you experience is this overwhelming uh, uh, understanding that the point is that he doesn't want to stay stuck in this mundane life. And all you need to know is it's a mundane life. You don't need to know how the moisture evaporators work, yeah. right? And, and there's, there isn't a concern to explain those details because the point is just relate to the farm kid who has big dreams. As you're talking, I'm I'm staring up on my wall here. I have I have a print from Nan Lawson, who is a friend of Joe Stars. If you're a Screen Junkies fan, she does great little pop art. You can go to Nan Lawson's website and order stuff. I have a lot of my Leia art comes from her. One of my last things I've ordered from her is the Twin Sun piece. And I'm as you're talking, Joseph, I am staring at a little art piece of Luke, the Hut, the Twin Suns, and Evaporator. That is the crux to me of what Lucas was putting in New Hope. It is there's two suns on this planet that's that makes it so that these people need these voice moist moisture evaporators to, to survive. And this kid uh, is stuck in that world. He just had blue milk, but he stormed out of a, a, a dinner with his family because he wants more. And haven't we all been there? And you're not worried about, okay, wait a minute. This planet is, it's, it's, it's a binary sunset. Uh, you're, you're just, you, you are feeling him generations uh, or not generations, but, but thousands of years at a different galaxy apart. You know what I mean? Like that to me, there's some realism in there. That's how this planet functions, but it's about the romance and what George is trying to say. Yeah, exactly. And I think the, the really unique mix is that it feels real. It doesn't feel like something that a bunch of people made up, you know, uh, because it is relatable enough to feel real of like, oh, they have uh, bars and money and a totalitarian government, <laughs> all sorts of things we recognize from the real world. Uh, the troopers on the Death Star are bored and talk about, you know, VT-16, uh, quite a thing to see. Like, we've got a lot of bits of, of realism, uh, but th the purpose of them is not to answer questions about how they all function together in a realistic way it's just so that you can feel that the characters are real and their emotions and desires are real while they go on this great big mythic journey you know it hints yeah. at the mundane reality of their life and by just hinting at it it becomes fascinating to us because we we wonder ooh, how does that work because it's just there in the background and it it makes sense to the characters and it's just the mundane reality of the characters so they don't need to explain it to us and then we focus on the this mythic hero's journey yeah yeah uh, and i think i'm sorry go ahead that's my final answer <laughs> that's your final answer <laughs> fair enough fair enough uh I, I thought it was important to talk about uh new hope because then we'll be talking a little bit more about how those different uh levels of romance and realism uh work in the future uh, but first i want to get to sort of sort of some of the criticisms um yeah lumping a lot of things together but i think uh criticism of romance in star wars means 
you might not get a practical answer. So I think people who uh, push back against the romance, it's sometimes because they're frustrated because they feel like something is being left out of the narrative that is essential. Uh, examples of this might be, uh, how did Palpatine return? Uh, how did Maz get Luke's lightsaber? Uh, why didn't Padme get an ultrasound to know she was carrying twins? Come on, it's an advanced technology. Why wouldn't she do that, right? Uh, why do ships make noise in space? Why do bombs fall? All that kind of stuff that like, from the big narrative to the like really practical. How do you feel about those criticisms? Which of those kind of things bother you where you feel like the romance of I was carrying twins and I didn't know it is, is too much in uh, friction with, come on, uh, there's no ultrasounds in space. Which of those yeah. kind of criticisms bother you? So all of them, but none of them. And uh, let me explain. <laughs> like, I, I think it's because I want to be careful not to, take away anyone's power to ask these questions. I think these questions are part of the, f the fun of Star Wars. For some people, they're part of the frustrations. They still keep coming back. Uh, we've gone on about the Palpatine one, uh, and, and we're probably not even done talking about it there. Either either you're there or you're or you're not with it. I, I, and it's maybe a different discussion. But the lightsaber, Maz is in the lightsaber. I see it all the time. Well, how did you get it? And we're getting, just, answers might be starting to emerge in the comic line. You know, we're going, we're on Bespin and, uh, the, the lightsaber's being found, all that kind of stuff. But it's like a story, it's a story for another time. And either you hear that and go, okay, or you go, no, no. And I, I'm not here, this isn't casting because I think it's, I think it's important to remember it is fun to ask those questions and maybe approach it with a spirit of fun. That's where I, where, when you ask the question of what bothers me, I'll go to this specific, two, two specific examples, all right? Finn and the Force, you and I have uh, I've been mm. really diving into this one lately where you and I kind of love what it presents. I uh, absolutely I don't want to speak for you, but I absolutely love how it connects to what I talked about with Jan Dodonna and A New Hope and him being the first one to say, may the force be with you. And he ain't no Jedi. And then you and I broke down uh, Ambush, the Clone Wars episode and Yoda talking to the three clones saying, no, the force is there for you, too. I think that's what Finn that that represents. It's not immediately apparent and it definitely does seem like a cheat. Or you're like, wait, 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 what is he going to say? Like, maybe it was played a little weird. I, I will go down the, that pat conversation path with people. But I come out of Rise of Skywalker, my first screening, tears down my face. And I understand that might not be you. And it might never be you. But I'm literally tears streaming down my face. Two or three pundits in our circle grab me, see tears on my face and go, what would you think? And I'm like, uh, I point into my tears and they go, what did Finn, what was Finn trying to say? I'm just like, I, what, it, it, romance, realism. And they, <laughs> I wish I said that. Um, and I'm not casting aspersions on them. I'm a little grumpy with it, but that's where I'm at. But then it, so it starts to bother me. And I'll tell you the other one, Holdo Maneuver. Ah, oh, man, I feel mm. like I'm open. I, let's take the, conver the, the conversations and, and a lot of it just plain old sexist conversation or uncomfortable and you, you didn't you didn't like what was going on with the Holdo character. I, I will, for this one moment, put it on a shelf, Joseph. Okay, let's deal with that on another podcast. But the simple move of that character, the moment, I was moved by it. And every time I saw it in a screening, whether and, and most of them early on were press screenings, the one I got to go to the DGA and see it, where Ryan Johnson was there for his birthday. Every time I saw it, silence and someone going, Oh my God. In, in, in the theater. Every time I was moved by it. And right. I was, yes, go ahead. Like, Sorry. Moved by the mythic tale of noble sacrifice, right? 
and, and how it looked and how it felt. And yes, exactly what, what, what Laura Dern, the choices she makes as an actor in that moment. Uh, Grace always talks about loving little moments of movements of grabbing her dress, moving, sitting down. There's some great choices as a, as a performer she makes there. And just being moved by it, not necessarily to tears, but just like, oh, wow, what a great Star Wars moment. And when I emerged from some of those early screenings online <laughs> to see that, again, taking the, the, the bigger issues aside, but just the actual moment to see that people had rejected this and those things of claims that it quote undid rules in star Wars. I wasn't even mad. I was just like, I can't go there with you. Yeah. I won't. I refuse to go there as a star Wars fan because I, I can't not be moved by that, but what that meant. And, and I love going into the conversation about it also represents a leader needing to go down, down with the ship. Cause maybe she did make some bad decisions as a leader or some questionable ones. And I can have that conversation, but it all leads to that moment I, I just, so that's the difference between me, maybe Pete, the re- retailer and, and the castle where I will never ask the question, well, wait a minute. How come they didn't take one through a Death Star? Like what? Right. She sacrificed herself. So that's where I, you ask, sorry, you asked me two hours ago. What bothers <laughs> me? That's the stuff where it doesn't bother me. Like I'm mad at you as a fan. It just bothers me. Like I can't, I can't meet you on that level. Cause I, I am, I am over here crying. Yeah. I can't meet you there because I'm crying is nice and mythic. No, I think this is really great to talk through because I think that it is good for you and I, you know, particularly because we align a lot to really examine why do what are our preferences so that we can celebrate them and still be, you know, respectful to people who are coming at it from a different perspective. Right. Um, again, your caveat of, of we're talking about just analyzing and reacting to Star Wars, not other much larger uh, world uh, stuff. If, if you don't like Holdo because she's a woman, that's a, that you're right. That is a different podcast and a yeah. long one. Uh, <laughs> but if you are the kind of fan who's like, your mind gravitates more towards the, the, the realism part of star Wars and how it's all structured and how it works and what kind of uh, fidelity to its own reality uh, of, you know, the, the world building on the technical side, then that's, just, this is such a great way for me, I think to discuss with different people, what moves you and what doesn't and what holds you back from enjoying something. Um, And for me, like, yeah, there's everything you said about that Holdo moment I love. But to me, it's when I see it, the way I see it and the way I experience it is uh, this question is raised uh, by the film of we've had years of reckless uh, uh, flyboys saying, never tell me the odds. And we're really questioning, is that always right? Uh, And this moment is answering sometimes. Yes, you can. You you should do it. You should be brave. You should take the one in a million chance when you know it's truly what you have to do. Like to me, it's this it's this beautiful, poignant answering of a question. It's you know why we tell myths. It's why we tell stories to uh, you know struggle with questions and try out answers in the form of a story. Um, and that's what I see. But I understand that there are other people who see like well, but I've uh, I, you know I've studied how hyperspace works and but and I really need in order for me to enjoy that part of it I really need to understand why didn't they ever try that before and then you can get into these kind of headcanon logic things for me and mm-hmm. and I think where I come down on, on this question of you know does a lack of realism in Star Wars bother me it's almost always no for me personally because I gravitate towards the romantic and the mythic and also for me when something doesn't quite line up in terms of the realism it it's for me it's fun headcanon 
it's fun. Like, okay, well, let's discuss that. Well, what are the real world things of, um, well, yeah, maybe nobody ever tried this because it is such a, a, a mind boggling thing to do. It, uh, it uh, requires such precision. And, you know, most importantly, uh, why would people build ships to sacrifice in this dangerous one in a million only works one in a million, or I guess two in a million since the Ewoks apparently did it over Endor (laughs) in Rise of Skywalker. I think those are, for me, I don't get frustrated by those things. I don't get taken out of the story. For me, I'm very happy with actually, that's a fun thing to discuss. And that's a story for another time. Mm -hmm. But I also really respect and understand that people are different. And that's a story for another time. Frustrates some people in storytelling in that if you raise a question, you feel it should be answered. Yeah, which is fair. Like I would love, and I'd love to have more of these conversations, even off air. I, I think I owe, I think I owe Alex Damon and Hello Greedo a little moment or two at a bar the next time we're together to ask them why they gravitate more towards uh, Greedo. Will say kind of the boots on the ground stuff. He was in the military. Uh, he, he's going to connect to some of those things a little different. Uh, Alex loves. He doesn't just love Big Dark Lighter's mustache, but he loves the Flyboy stuff. He loves the ships and. And squadrons is excited about that. And he is excited and ignited and invigorated by Alexander Freed describing the temperature of an X-Wing um, cockpit. And so I am too because of that. I want to know a little bit more. And by the way, it doesn't mean that Greedo or Alex, I'm just using them as examples because I know them and I've conversed with them off air on Star Wars stuff. Um, you know, I know they, they're they into the romance stuff too, you know, and even things work or don't work based on that. But you yeah. know what I mean? I, I owe it to them to sit down and find out w- why they gravitate towards that stuff. Sometimes maybe a little bit more than other things. Um, Cause I want to know, I want to know. Um, and I don't consider any of that pushback against what you and I are talking about. Just uh, a, another piece of the cake and it's still good cake. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think it's uh, fascinating um, just because it is romance versus realism, but I think it is also just like different opinions about, how storytelling should work. Um, I'll just say this very quickly because we, you're right, we have talked about it a lot, but the whole Palpatine returning, they're like, I went into the film thinking that we're going to get a little bit more of like, ooh, you know, I, I thought he was going to be haunting something and uh, yeah. Ray and Kylo were both going to sense it and uh, end up, you know, accidentally unleashing Palpatine. I thought we were going to get a story like that. So the dead speak rocked me back in my seat and then the movie starts and then I was like, oh, the answer is the evil wizard used some kind of evil magic to cling to life in an unhealthy way cool that's all i need to know uh but i i recognize that for a ton of people it is a problem because it is an a distraction to enjoying the rest of the narrative because that's not enough answer for them to understand and then in this just i i'm at this point i'm just entertained by it i think jj abrams leans towards the romantic and the mythic and he just wants to get on with you know, Ray walking up the steps and ascending into myth. Um, yeah. he, he is an but, Amblin, Amblin entertainment kid, you know? Exactly, exactly. And he has this unique ability to not only tell things in a more mythic way, but accidentally write lines along with other people that underline that he didn't give you the answer, right? I mean, <laughs> so if you're the kind of person who feels like, I need to know how Palpatine got came back or I'm distracted, wondering about it you feel frustrated when poe says somehow palpatine returned because it's just underlining the fact that we're not going to tell you how and the exact same thing with maz if it's like ooh, i really want to know where that lightsaber came from <laughs> she practically turns to the camera and goes maybe in a book kids you know <laughs> neither of which bother me 
but it helps me to understand and to have a sense of humor about like, wow, if it was already bugging you, I can see how it would bug you extra that there's yeah. a line where literally somebody said, don't worry about it. Yeah. 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 Well, well said. And, 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 and you know, my only, my final, maybe some of the thought, uh, you know, and I think this does tie in, into the romance versus realism and how you view it. I, I just sometimes, and, and this, this I don't know, maybe sounds grumpy, but I, I just wish sometimes Star Wars fans would spend less energy on trying to prove why something doesn't work for them and more energy on trying to understand what the story is to saying to everyone. And, and that's a lot of it. Why I tend to go towards the romance. Yeah. Yeah, no, I understand that. And and I think for me, I just, I want everybody to be able to share their, you know, subjective reaction and uh, not hold up opinions to prove that something is, you know, good or bad, period. And that's the thing that, that can bother me because I think it's art. I think it's meant to be subjective. I think we're meant to yeah. bring our own uh, personalities and perspectives and needs and wants to it. And I think, uh, I think it's a, a great thing to say. I can say Rise of Skywalker is great for me and I can write you an essay about why. Um, and I'm fine if somebody says I, Rise of Skywalker doesn't work for me and here's my essay on why. And then I'll learn something more about the other person, even though we're never going to agree. I love yeah. those conversations. I get very tired of here is the evidence of why it's bad, you know, yeah. factually bad, because I just don't perceive movies, you know, outside of a couple of very specific technical things, you know as being good or bad you know is it out of focus the entire time and it was never supposed to be okay that was an actual failure of filmmaking but beyond that kind of stuff it's you know it's all subjective yeah yeah and and, and look at in the lesson for folks like you and i is uh, you know sith deals and absolutes right yeah i don't i don't want to lock myself into to, to my opinions mean facts as well you and i've had a lot of conversations about that on and off air so it is a constant challenge. And you reminded me of the time in 2009 I saw Inglorious Bastards at a theater in Johnson City, Tennessee, and the entire time the movie was out of focus and I was sick for a week. Uh, <laughs> I think that is a bad movie experience, in my opinion. That's horrendous. <laughs> That's awful. It was just so out of focus that you didn't realize it till towards the end of the movie. You're like, I can't walk. Uh, anyways, <laughs> I know. I know. A powerful, powerful uh, filmic presentation choice i guess uh or probably accident probably the teens were busy yeah. Yeah. texting and dating and stuff like teens do <laughs> uh anyway i think it's a, a a good realization that both you and i lean towards the uh, romance but we also do like uh, elements of the realism so let's look at that same kind of uh, question from the other side and then we'll take a quick break uh so a, i think a criticism of realism in star wars is that it gets too mundane or boring and robs things of their mythic status. Now, this is an argument that I think you and I both experienced a lot growing up with the original trilogy, which uh, a lot of people perceived as being more mythic and mysterious, and the unanswered questions were part of the charm, uh, and didn't like the prequel trilogy because it answered too many things and made too many things not mystical anymore. So um, example of that is, you know, people being mad at the, you know, the first uh, opening lines of the crawl of Phantom Menace of like, Star Wars is not about, you know, taxation of trade routes and what there are Senate scenes discussing politics. That's boring. Uh, and lightsabers are supposed to be mystical, not just kind of quick replacements like uh, the two Jedi throwing Obi-Wan and Anakin replacement lightsabers of like, here, we got a closet full of them. Here you go. Take them. Um, even yeah. even up to recent times, I know there are fans who feel like seeing the Kessel run and knowing exactly how it works 
uh, robs it of its wonder. Um, going back to uh, one that I have personally uh, been bothered by, the uh, first Timothy Zahn Heir to the Empire book of Lando giving Luke hot chocolate. That's just too directly Earth stuff. I don't, I don't want Luke drinking hot chocolate. I don't want Han giving young Ben Solo fruit roll-ups. I don't want straight <laughs> Earth stuff because it robs it of feeling mystical and otherworldly. So at this point in your Star Wars fandom, how do you feel about those general kind of criticisms that too much fidelity to realism robs Star Wars of feeling magical, mystical, otherworldly? I think a lot of it goes to your expectations. Castle Run pops to mind. I, as much as I love Solo, I still don't know if I fully, fully in, uh, am on board with their interpretation of the Castle Run compared to what I dreamed about for years. Mm. But I get a lot of enjoyment, and I love that sequence. And I remember one of the screenings, maybe it's the one where you at, at the Arclight one, uh, there was a big round of just when they get out of it and you know, they're going to get out of it. Right. We know these characters live. <laughs> <They're not laughs> there was a round of applause because it just was a fun sequence. But I, so I understand it. And I go to, um, you know, the prequel stuff, you and I experienced that the, 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 the era of the bashing. And a lot of it comes from uh, understandable spots. Cause I was right there too. I always uh, think about and Maybe I've referenced before the Simpsons. Uh, I love The Simpsons taking taking big swings at the prequel trilogy of the one scene of a, like an Adat Walker type thing breaks in to a building and it's a Senate meeting and he sits down and puts on glasses and reads a newspaper or something like that. I, I, I'm, <laughs> and by the yes. way, that's, that's a funny joke. But also, uh, hey, uh, jokes on you. You you missed you missed the bigger point of of even the original trilogy. Um, and that's where I'm on too. Where some of the this just goes down that criticism path of just like. Sometimes I'm realizing your dislike of Rise of Skywalker meant you actually misunderstood The Last Jedi. Your dislike of the prequels kind of means you misunderstood the original trilogy. General sense. That could get too finger-waggy if I'm not careful. Um, so, yeah, I, I get it. I get it. I think maybe you can grow with that. And maybe if you go to, what is it? Again, Midi Chlorians is probably a, an example of it not done perfectly. And it's still not one of my favorite moments, right? But I think the concept behind it is really interesting. So I don't know. I get it all. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of different things, a lot of different elements to this uh, for me. Like we've talked a lot about everybody has a different threshold of what is too similar to Earth, even in language, you know, a big ass door or girlfriend or, you know, uh, a cute boyfriend, rather. Um, uh, all those different kind of things of what is uh, is too on the nose for Earth. Uh, really, like, you know, excuse me, <laughs> being right. the one of like, I'll, I'll never be happy that, you know, straight up uh, uh, Wayne's World uh, mm -hmm. joke is uh, is in Star Wars. That'll never be my favorite thing in Star Wars. Uh, so I get that. I get that feeling robbed of of you're not in an otherworldly space if they're saying things that feel too real world to you for some reason. So I always get that one. Um, I think this big tension between the original trilogy, like that, that tension is perfectly represented uh, in that Simpsons joke. I'm so glad, glad you brought it up because I, I haven't seen that one in years, but that's exactly it. Star Wars is, it, it, it's a big adventure. It's huge, strange machines marching on a remote ice planet. It is not, you know, do I have a second to motion the vote of no confidence? Come on. It's so boring. Um, but you're, I think you're right. It's it, You have to be open to both parts of it because that's very much the story that uh, Lucas wanted to tell. He wanted to get into these dynamics in the prequel trilogy that he didn't, that he hinted at in the original trilogy that were on the edges, uh, but that weren't the focus. And now this is 
the focus. We're, we're with the government. We're with the policymakers. We're with uh, the leaders. We're not with the rogues and the outcasts for the most part. We are with the leaders. And so we're getting this story that has a little bit more uh, realism, a little bit more you can directly map it to Earth stuff uh, if you want. Um, and I remember, like, even for myself, um, wrestling with a lot of stuff in, in Phantom Menace, uh, the midi-chlorians bothered me at the time. Now, uh, the midi-chlorians don't bother me at all. I, I get mm-hmm. that there's a difference between the way the Force is discussed in the original trilogy of it's a mystical energy field. We know it's there, but we can never fully understand it, too. Uh, yeah, it's uh, these little organisms live inside your body. But for me, uh, when I really break it down, when you're talking about realism, it's just another step of fantasy of like, it's not super realistic to say (laughs) there are tiny microorganisms that live inside all of us. And if you quiet your mind enough, you will hear them whispering the will of the force to you. Like I get that it turns the force into like a, you know, a blood sample. Like it's something that you can just, you know, inherit, (laughs) you know, like a, a random medical condition from your father. I get that part of it feels too realistic that you can zap it across, uh, you know, Tatooine in a shit razor blade. I get it. But also, microscopic beings whisper the will of a mysterious energy field to you. It's not super realistic. I, you know what? I had never really broke it down to that level. Uh, that's a great, that's a great thing. I love that. Cause yeah, I get it. It's, uh, it's not like quite excuse, excuse me, but like, yeah, all right. Yeah. I don't spend a lot of time living in the midi chlorian world, but yeah, it's not very scientific, is it? Yeah. Qui Gon's talking about it. It starts there. Doesn't end there. Yeah, in generation generationally, I think it's just this huge pivot, this huge swing from people who grew up imagining what the Clone Wars uh, might be, imagining what the Kessel Run might be, uh, enjoying the ambiguity of the Force, really enjoying the tip of the iceberg storytelling, uh, as we often call it uh, on Force Center, that's in the original trilogy, and just kind of not wanting answers of any kind. Period. Uh, and now I think we've almost swung to this other place where people have grown up with the prequel trilogy. They've grown up with a lot of sort of uh, realism uh, up to a point in Star Wars are frustrated by the tip of the iceberg storytelling in the sequel trilogy that says, don't worry, just imagine what it is or we'll tell you sometime. But don't worry, that's not the point right now. Uh, so we've, we've had, I think, this uh, swing back and forth between how much we care about romance uh, versus realism, honestly. I mean, look, look at The Force Awakens comes out. It's still generally probably the most collectively well-received of 7, 8, 9, right? Like the, the spirit, the vibe was different back then. In another era, five years ago. Uh, but what was one of the big things? And, and you and I have talked about it. I, I think I remember discussing on the Spotlight Star Wars. Still from the point of excitement and wanting to know more, but we heard all the time, oh, what's the state of the galaxy? I wish we had more state of the galaxy stuff. I mean, that's got to come a little bit from the prequel generation going, hey, Oh, uh, is anyone talking trade routes? <laughs> right, right. Of people just really wanting to know, like, no, functionally, I want to know what the relationship between the Republic and the Resistance is. And, you know, why didn't the New Republic do anything about the First Order? And was the First Order, you know, just a military presence? Or how many systems did they control? Like, yeah, people wanted to know that kind of more crunchy information like we got in the prequel era. Yeah, but even, even the crawl, I was rewatching it a little bit this week, researching some, one of our Star Wars ranks upcoming. And, you know, in the crawl, I forget that now I forget it exactly. But it's like uh, with the backing of the, of the Republic, uh, the resistance, I'm like, well, that's not actually true. I <laughs> <laughs> right? didn't really have the Republic back. Yeah, yeah. Even then, even the, even then, JJ's just kind of waving his hand and going, E.T. 
Yes. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Phone home. You don't need to know the details of how the mm-hmm. phone works. Um, yeah. Uh, I think one other example for me that of something where I think for me, the realism versus the romance kind of is weird. Like I go to Rogue One. I talked about how much I love Vader's castle as a example of uh, romance. And it is this uh, tortured uh, Anakin or Vader at that point, but the scarred body of who was Anakin floating in this horrific tub. And he's got this, uh, uh, you know, creepy, weird castle. And then, you know, all that mythic energy, that giant shadow as the door opens. And then he, you know, he basically, he gives, um, (laughs) he gives Krennic the information on how they're going to cover up, you know, basically like, here's the info on, uh, here's the propaganda. Here's the press release uh, for our government conspiracy. <laughs> it's a marketing meeting. It's a business meeting. It's a marketing meeting. It's a business meeting. Like, you know, here's here's where it's a, there was a mining accident. Okay. Did you not get the press release? Thanks for coming to my evil castle for our business meeting. That's like one of those moments where like the romance versus the realism has this very bizarre tension in Star Wars. Yeah. Which, by the way, I just love it. Whether he's going to choke him or not, because that, that, that came out of kind of Krennic's attitude and response to him. I love that Vader's the type of a-hole boss that would make you fly all the way out for him to deliver like two lines and send you <laughs> on your way. That's his power move in a, in a classic sense. It really is. Like fly all the way to my planet to get your the cover of your TPS report. Yeah, it's the Lord Michaels makes you wait for three hours before you have your interview type of uh, corporate BS. Sometimes that happens in power. Uh, 101 BS, but I, I love that Vader does it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, On that note, on Vader corporate BS, uh, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to talk some more specifics uh, across the era and the different shows and movies and books about how romance and realism uh, present themselves in Star Wars. We will be right back. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. 
But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, Four Center friends, make sure you're keeping up to date on all the great content from Jennifer Landa. Whether it's YouTube, Instagram, or TikTok, you whippersnappers, Four Center's own Jennifer Landa continues to bring you fun, informative, and insightful laughs and moments. Also, Jennifer brings her experience and perspective as a Star Wars-loving mother to her DIY projects, blogs, and more. So be sure to head on over to JennyLanda.com. That's J-E-N-I-L-A-N-D-A.com for articles like how to make your own Darth Maul sneakers or 10 unique Star Wars baby gift ideas. Follow Jen on Twitter and Instagram at JenniferLanda and on TikTok as JenniferLanda1138. Hey, Four Center fans, don't forget, Four Center is on YouTube. Head over there to catch up with our new show, Star Wars Show and Tell. Joseph, Jennifer, Ken, and special guests sit down and share favorite items from their own Star Wars memorabilia collections. Plus, there's the In Memoriam video series, encore presentations of Databank Brawl, and special programming all there for you, and more shows on the way. It's Four Center on YouTube. Check it out. back to talk more romance realism and the balance between them and all the different eras and mediums of star wars ken we've talked about the original trilogy uh, a decent amount but i still want to touch on it uh, again uh, as we launch into talk about everything else that flowed from the original trilogy uh, so the original trilogy does have practical stuff in it it does have realism uh, the senate is mentioned as being wiped away uh, 
We hear about uh, mining guilds and labor disputes on Cloud City. Uh, the Death Star has a construction schedule and needs a certain amount of employees to meet it. So even though those details are there, uh, Han tells us exactly how hyperspace travel works and the dangers of it and blah, blah, blah. You could go on and on finding little realistic details. Why does it still feel so so much more romantic and mythic overall? I just think the story does not take any true amount of time to stop there and live in that. It just asks you to accept all that as part of this galaxy, this functional galaxy. I mean, again, it starts with the Luke, uh, Luke has breakfast. It's, it's, it's Baru's making it, you know, like, and there's work to do on the South Ridge. Like it's all kind of there and it's just part of it, but we don't need to stop and live there. And that's part of just Joel, uh, Joel, 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 George's goal. Uh, <laughs> of, uh, Telling us that that modern myth is we always talk about in the Flash Gordon serial and and all those kind of things. I, I just think it's 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 to me no 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 more complicated than that. Yeah, I know. I agree with you. I think it's, it's so much that it's not concerned with those details. I also think that it is so clearly uh, that Joseph Campbell hero's journey myth. Uh, obviously Han has an arc. I think Leia really has an arc in Empire Strikes Back. Uh, Lando has a change of heart. There's a ton of, obviously there's some things going on with Vader. There's a ton of stuff going on in the original trilogy, but it's very just screen time emphasis. It's Luke Skywalker's journey. He steps into a larger world in New Hope. He, uh, you know, goes through uh, the dark uh, uh, force time of the soul yeah. in Empire Strikes Back. He emerges from that you know, wiser and uh, and becomes the master by the end. It's just, it's so focused on this mythic story of Luke Skywalker, uh, the new bold knight with his, you know, forged through pain and trauma and mentors and hard lessons and new friends and adventures. And he emerges at the end with his shining sword uh, of virtuosity um, mm-hmm. that all of that doesn't make you go, but does he pay taxes? <laughs> yeah. 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 It, it just, again, just kind of goes, here's the details. It doesn't, even, it doesn't even ask you to accept them. It just kind of tells you, this is what, this is what the small details are. Let's keep going. You know? Yeah. And I think another thing is just like, uh, as I've talked about on, on Force Center before that in the original trilogy, it's just, even when you can kind of map uh, things in, into a real world of like, oh, well, they didn't pay off that crime boss and now uh, they're in trouble and that crime boss is going to execute them. You can go like, oh, yeah, they can map that to the real world. I can that can be an old 30s gangster movie. And like, yeah. yeah, but no, they're they're being thrown into the mouth of a giant thing that lives in the sand and it's going to swallow them. But they're going to live a thousand years like it's just always wild and weird. The original trilogy, it's always mm-hmm. got a little bit of that element of uh, bizarre B movie adventure serial right on the surface, which I also think makes it feel a little bit, you know, in a world where uh, Sarlacc is real, uh, you're not asking as many questions about like, do they have coffee? You know? Yeah. 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 Exogorth is a great example to me. I always say it's still one of the weirder things to me in star Wars that I'm not, that I'm definitely, you know, I'm 99.9% like, yeah, I love the space slug, but in my head, I'm like, do I enjoy that there's a giant space worm that they flew into? <laughs> I don't know. Yes, I understand how you could be tortured even by a percent by the Exogorth. But, you know, again, that it, it invokes incredibly uh, deep 
uh, mythic storytelling to go into the belly of the beast. Going into the belly of the beast is an ancient story, right? Uh, and this is just a new interpretation of it. And again, even if you can't be like, uh, yes, of course, uh, let me tell you about all the different myths about entering a beast's mouth. Uh, you feel it, right? And, and that makes it feel mythic and romantic. Love it. Uh, so moving on then to the prequel trilogy and the Clone Wars animated series in general, we get into lots of practicalities, uh, politics, uh, supply routes, hyperspace lanes, uh, economic policy, uh, policing on Coruscant, uh, how, exactly how a clone trooper is trained in their cool video game clone trooper training room. Mm-hmm. Jedi have utility belts, lots of rules. So uh, we both love prequel trilogy and Clone Wars animated series. How does getting into that level of practicality enrich the overall saga of Star Wars for you? I think part of George's goal, and he's talked about it in some spots, is, is a desire to, to make sure we all got it, it being the point of the original trilogy and the bigger lessons that maybe we were uh, too young to pick up on or he didn't make clear enough. And so it fuels all that. This is when realism Again, knowing that there are some missteps along the way and some things that maybe weren't executed uh, to everyone's liking, my, myself included, you you included too. Uh, I think it is it all funnels back into the big mythic um, ideas that he puts out there and into the romance. I, I think that I look at the prequels as George wanted to go back and show us the foundation of what his myth was built on. It's the framework in, in a math class sense. George has shown his work. And going here, this is all how this happened. That little, that little line about the Senate being wiped away. Here's how that happened, and here's how we got to that point. It it it, it took 20 years, and and uh, I'm going to show you how it, that, that began. You know, all those kind of things we've heard about. And again, I, I've, I've mentioned a lot, and I and I Star Wars show just put out some clips of past celebrations. Uh, I love this look at George Lucas in 2005. In 2005, going, yeah, no, I get it. Everyone kind of doesn't like these movies. They all wanted to see Darth Vader kill somebody and be cool, uh, paraphrasing. But it, I wanted to show that fall and what that really meant and the and the choices. And so there's some George's, the realism of Darth Vader's fall, right? He was answering that question, mm-hmm. how it happened. Uh, I think sometimes just we, I look at our generation, we weren't ready for it. <laughs> Generations, younger generations probably got it before we did. Yeah, no, thankful for. No, I I agree, and I I am glad to have gone on this journey and love the prequel era uh, in the prequels themselves so much because I want to have been able to let go and say, "Ooh, I really love the romance side of Star Wars," and yeah, the original trilogy emphasizes that. But then, oh, there is a lot to be gained from having this more, uh, a lot more of the practical systems of how the galaxy works, and seeing uh, if the original trilogy is a tip of the iceberg. Yeah, show me more of that iceberg because it's cool. It's interesting. Um, and I think that uh, there is still the mythic in the in the prequel trilogy. I certainly don't want to take that away. I think there's mm-hmm. something very there's a lot of deep mythology in, you know, uh, the fall of a good uh, person. People talk about the uh, Faustian deal that Anakin makes. And, you know, I was talking recently about how much Anakin's visions of Padme dying remind me of Macbeth and did he make his own prophecies come true would they have not have come true if he had just continued there's all sorts of great mythic uh stuff of you know how does a mentor fail a student you know what is a father figure and what happens when one disappears all sorts of great mythic stuff but I think what I really gravitate towards is what you were saying about Lucas going I want my story to be clear and in order for my story to be clear I'm also going to tell you the nuts and bolts. There's the 
There's the mythic side of Anakin's fall, but this is also a story of how a government collapsed. And in order to tell that story, I'm going to show you the nuts and bolts. And I'm going to kind of at points remind you that I mean this. And I'm saying this for George Lucas. Fans can interpret it however they want. But Lucas in interviews has made it clear that there are one-to-one matches where he is criticizing things that he perceived in the real world and, and how organizations sort of rot from the inside and how greedy people uh, can manipulate uh, uh, structures of power and take advantage of people who mean well and are trying to be fair in order to corrupt things. And in order to tell that story, he really needs to kind of get into some of those nuts and bolts of, well, a, a manifestation of greed is a corporation that is untouchable by the courts and has representation in a Senate. Uh, and that means getting into sort of real, uh, more realism of politics. Um, mm-hmm. And I think all that stuff for me is uh, still really rich because I think there's this side of Star Wars that, you know, Lucas has talked about being a morality tale. And some of that stuff is really, for me, rich when I think about it from the the point of view of, uh, myths and stories are narratives that allow us to question our own reality and go, is that, how do we define specific ideas? What is important to a society and why? You know, you don't even have to agree with it. You can just say like, this is a study in how a government might fall. Yeah. Do we agree with that? Do we agree with those are what the values of a society should be? So by going into those nuts and bolts to turn it into a morality tale, it, it once again becomes mythic because the point of a myth is to reflect a specific culture at a specific time, deal with our anxieties and question who we truly want to be And the prequels in the whole prequel era helps me question what do I believe about society and who should we truly be? Yeah. Yeah. And, and we, I, I just said, you know, how we all wanted to watch Not we all, but in general, we wanted to watch Darth Vader kill people in some really cool fashion and become bad during that. I don't know. Um, same thing with the clone wars. We grew up thinking, so you think clone wars and this mythical kind of thing. And George was like, yeah, it is. But also here's the, here's the structure of it. It, it wasn't just a darkness rose with dark warriors. Uh, and it was a cool fight that yay, one side won. It it was a lot of things. And, 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 uh, that itself is, is realism fueling into the romance to me. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think the other side of it with the uh, with the Clone Wars animated series in particular, I think there's an ability to project yourself into the characters and into the world really well. Um, certainly you can project yourself into Luke or Han or Leia or Lando, and certainly a bunch of us uh, growing up absolutely did uh, imagine ourselves having these mythic adventures. But when you get even more details, when you kind of like really know, uh, you can start to glean the day to day of a clone. You know, you can really imagine yourself in that world. Or if you want to imagine that you live in Coruscant, you know what the police look like. <laughs> you know what the uh, the mass transit system looks like. You know, you know, you can imagine yourself in it because they've done so much more world building uh, in the prequel era. Mm-hmm. You know where your diner is. Yep. You know where your diner is. <laughs> you know where to get your Jawa juice. Uh, so moving forward, where do you think the sequel era lands in this balance of romance and realism? You know, if we're saying in a in a very, very broad sense that the original trilogy is a little bit more romantic and the prequel trilogy uh, introduces a little bit more uh, details of, of realism within the world of Star Wars, where does the sequel trilogy land? I'd say it's not quite a, a, a perfect balance because of what we're talking about specifically with, with Force Awakens, where that, that was a ton of the 
what's the state of the galaxy conversation? We started to get that a little bit more. Now, if you're just watching the movies, maybe you still feel so. I'm not uh, feel like you don't know, but I'm not saying the sequel trilogy they perfect balance because I do think they were aired on the side of caution. Seven, eight, and nine. Not talking about Rogue One or Solo. I um, I, I just love the, what you said earlier about the the emotional realism. I think it's all through the sequel trilogy and it helped because it has to answer those questions that we always talk about we joke about ewoks had a party there were some fireworks everyone woke up the next day then what happened george didn't necessarily think he'd make seven and eight and nine yeah i'd love to see his vision uh on paper at least somewhere the sequel trilogy had to deal with that realism what happens when you wake up and the and the, and the romantic comedy uh the lights fade what happens the next day the uh, secret trilogy had to, had to, had to answer that in a realistic fashion, and it went it went with the mostly emotional realism of that, the shadow of the legacy, uh, shadow and legacy of what came before, and and, and generations uh, that came before, and the pressures on the next generation, all those kind of things. Evil rising again is just, you know, on the surface it's like cool. Let's hey, let's have some stormtroopers and tie fighters again, so people will know it's Star Wars and feel comforted by that. But then we also have to explain. You know, and I thought JJ did. Hey, it's kind of like the neo Nazis emerging uh, from Brazil as if it was uh, that was, you know, on that large scale. So I think it's all very realistic stuff when you break it down. Just it's, it really tends to go towards the new hope version of let's give you the big mythic romance. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think it has uh, moments of uh, realism. I think like the setup of the plot mechanics of how exactly uh, the, um, resistance could possibly escape uh being tracked by the uh first order and the adventure that uh, uh finn and rose go on with all the technicalities of it's this kind of process converter hexacrypted you know there's some like sort of uh, a realism not to our real world maybe because it's a little bit kind of like hacking and technology you know so there's like there's moments uh i think where the sequel trilogy is concerned with a kind of really nuts and bolts realism mm-hmm. of explaining how things work uh, so people don't get distracted but in general i agree with you that it leans really really toward the romantic and the more important part of the realism is that uh emotional realism of mm-hmm. like we were talking about with the characters going on to have you know ups and downs in their life um and there is something very mythic about the entire story of the sequel trilogy being about well, the past is going to haunt you whether you like it or not. So it's going to rear its ugly head, rather, whether it's um, literally in the form of uh, people are dressing up like those stormtroopers of old and they're they're mm-hmm. coming back. They didn't, you know, the evil didn't stay buried or it's, you know, we have this legacy in our family of people having great power and falling to the dark side or, or with Ray. But I, mean, I, I, I can't know who I am or move forward until I know who who, where I came from, you know, all these great uh, sort of mythic ideas. But then I think Last Jedi in particular just really drills down to uh, romance uh, versus realism in this interesting way. It's emotional realism, but you're you're pinpointing it so well, Ken, that uh, Rey is there looking for the myth of Luke Skywalker. Luke Skywalker doesn't want to be seen as a myth because he wants to take responsibility for the realism it's it's almost like a conversation to me between the original trilogy and the prequel trilogy of raid sort of like she grew up with the original trilogy and she heard about the amazing jedi master luke skywalker you know with the green shining blade who can save us all and luke's like do you watch the prequels 
because uh, the Jedi had all these organizations and they fell apart and the government rotted from the inside and we failed to stop that from happening again. You don't believe that I'm a real guy that eats and drinks and does boring stuff like that? Well, watch me fish and milk a thalassiren. I'm going to I'm going to put my realism in my beard in the form of green milk so you get it so you get that I am not a romantic hero. And mm-hmm. that tension is played out so beautifully because I think that's the conversation between Ray and Luke is Ray is that Luke uh, with Ray's help and and with Yoda's but I think mostly Ray's comes to realize myths do have value. People need to be inspired. People need to look up the heroes they need to believe that they can do courageous almost impossible things so i will use my power as a myth i will project myself up to you know to create i will take the hero's blade and i will be that figure of myth and accept that there's honesty and beauty in that as well as needing to be honest about you know the sort of brutal realities of being a human yeah and and the scars are real the scars from the past are 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 very real that Luke's feeling. Yeah, no, I, I yeah, I absolutely love that Luke is almost literally saying, "All right, uh, let's talk about episodes one, two, and three. <laughs> I know you saw four, five, and six, and you like them, but you look, Jedi had utility belts. Do you know that? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, real. And, and, and I'm telling you, man, all nine of these movies talk to each other. They really yeah. do. I mean, I think that's one of the biggest things that I love about the sequel trilogy is it it finishes reckoning with the mistakes that you know our well-intentioned jedi heroes made in the in the prequel trilogy this is luke wrestling with the reality of they made these really bad mistakes you know and and let's deal with them and yoda yeah on and on on and on yeah 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 and not to get off on the last jedi conversation but yes it has some of my favorite little realism points like i i've always said the concept of canto bite i love some of the scenes there or maybe some you know i, I always say canto bite maybe my least favorite part of the movie but by the way that's you know i still watch it and love it <laughs> you know what i mean like right uh it might be occasionally my bathroom break scene but um but i love dj i love what he represents but i love that i love it's so realistic to go visit the upper crust and the upper class in Star Wars, we never really had done that. And I love that. That's a very realistic thing. That would exist. And now we get to play around with it, but it doesn't stop to overanalyze it. Uh, you know, I, I understand people get hung up on, well, why couldn't, uh, why didn't the First Order just launch all their TIE fighters at the, at the Radis? I, I, I totally get that. Totally get that conversation. You can give some answers and either you like it or you don't because it's not about that. It's about the other things. And, and there you go. We're back to base. Yeah. In, the, in the movie, you know, tries to, tries to solve that uh, concept that, the you know ships can't protect them from the Radis's guns, so they just get mowed down. Yep. Uh, and the Last Jedi is really interesting because it it clearly wants to hew towards the big. Let's wrestle with the mythic ideas of Star Wars. But Ryan Johnson really does, I think, even more than the two Abrams film, make an effort to go like, let me explain things so yep. you don't get caught up in how did they do that? Why aren't they doing X, Y, or Z? And I know it didn't entirely work because a lot of people clearly did. But it's interesting uh, that that he really made an effort. To say, let me answer the technical questions so you don't get distracted by them. Um, yeah, and Canto Bite's a great example because I know that there's some people who don't like it who fe- because they feel too much like it's, you know, Las Vegas, it's Monte Carlo in space, and that it is a little too one-to-one. It is a little too much uh, realism. Uh, but for me, it's it's just just right because it's enough realism to tap into that um, that prequel era of like, yeah, I mean, it's a big it's a big business to sell arms, and that's how people are making all this money, and they're callously profiting off of it that's a that's a real prequel era 
conversation, you know, uh, but then it's also in this more mythic in general film. It's got a great balance to me. Yeah. So moving on, uh, let's talk just a little bit about books and comics. There is so much realism in the books and comics, right? There's the hollow vids, which are basically like television and movies and, you know, news channels and documentaries. Uh, we hear about sometimes absolutely minuscule food choices <laughs> uh, that people make. Uh, what wines are valuable in Star Wars or not? Uh, there's multiple different names for bathrooms. There's um, multiple sexual encounters. There's mm-hmm. in the Thrawn books in uh, Alphabet Squadron, there's extremely technical space battles with why a certain turbo laser should move seven degrees because of the amount of pressure on the servo. Super, super technical stuff. You get to learn about Imperial report filing procedures and on and on and on. The books are really where the realism in Star Wars really goes uh, all in. Do you think that just makes sense for books? Yeah, I, I think generally I enjoy it. it. It's weird because you talk about like the Imperial report filings, that that story from, from a certain point of view aims to explain why they didn't shoot that escape pod. It's a paperwork thing. Uh, just we had to fill out the forms and uh, we don't do that. I think that's fun. I think if I saw that in a new hope, <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> There's an escape pod. No, uh, the forms, we, we, yeah, it takes long. I, mean, I have a lunch break coming. Like, what? I don't want that in my Star Wars. Like, what are you doing? But in the books, y- you can kind of take it in as, as, as you want and as on your own time. And, and, it, and it doesn't change the big narrative. It doesn't change the big purpose. And so, so therefore, I, I, have, I, I have fun swimming in the, the book and comics realism. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. I think it's because, you know, just by the nature of that storytelling where we're going inside uh, characters heads and we're kind of sometimes going through their day to day life, even when big, exciting, adventurous things is ha- are happening. And like if they have a tense conversation with someone they love at dinner and then they go into battle that night, you know, we really we have the room and the time to follow that. And in order for these characters to jump off the page, you kind of have to fill in uh, the realism and feel like it's a really real world like the you know the way the luke's chores were just hinted at in uh, on screen in a new hope it was enough to know that he had them and he had to do something who cares that's not the point makes sense for the books to sometimes go like well we need to sit there and be in his mind while he's absolutely bored by you know fixing something on the south ridge you know right right um i i also just kind of think of it as like we are living with their day-to-day lives and we don't cut away. It's like, you know, the, the great jokes and discussions about, you know, what was that dinner like in Empire Strikes Back? You know, what did they mm-hmm. serve? Yeah, right, <laughs> did right, Lobot right. cook it? You know, <laughs> we don't cut away in the books. And, and I think that's, that's okay with me. Yeah. Um, but I kind of along that line, the Holovids fascinate me because it is, you know, storytelling within storytelling. Like, it, it makes sense to me if, you know, a place as advanced as Coruscant is going to have some means of storytelling, some means of news, and, you know, in the Imperial era, era, some means of propaganda. How would you feel, though, if Holovids became really present in a movie or television show? I mean, how would you feel if, you know, Mando season two premieres, and uh, in order to keep the child quiet, you know, he's watching whatever you know, the Star Wars version is of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood just to keep the child quiet for a minute. How would you feel if, like, television in the form of Holovids was in Star Wars on screen in a big way? Depending on what part of my life you're talking about, I would either reject it or accept it wholeheartedly. <laughs> I, I think I'd be intrigued now because, yeah, you're, you're right. Even even the Outlander 
club uh, and, and attack the clones. I'm fascinated on the sports on the screen behind it. Like, yeah. Yeah. I, I want to see it. So I do want to see it. I, I think at some point, I mean, I'm talking about the nineties or something. I might've rejected the idea that they had movies and entertainment, but, but they would, you know, again, they would, they would have a newscaster. Uh, they, they, there's been the Poe Dameron comic has a kind of a reporter that ends up joining the fight. Yeah. And, and that, yeah. that stuff works for me, but actually seeing again, it's, it's, you can do a lot of different things in books, comics, and video games that you can't do on the screen in live action. It is kind of weird. It is a weird fine line that I can't fully describe. I'm just thinking about what you're saying. Like, I would, if it's the child, it would be the cutest thing in the world. <laughs> but I don't know. Yeah. If, if, if Tamiri Blagg uh, was watching TV when he's in there in the Father Years uh, uh, pen, would that work for me? I don't think it would. I don't know why, though, Joseph. I don't know why. Yeah. But I don't think it would. Yeah, I, I I wonder if it is just that exactly what we're talking about this delicate line between the romance and the realism that it takes you out of it and it makes it mundane in the wrong way or or just too earthbound. Yeah, yeah, okay, like Lolito Primock uh, singing and having a singing career and being in Hall of Vids. I want to see one, but <laughs> you know, just when you think about it, when you break that down into, does that mean at some point there was? Uh, you know, they're listening to him on the space radio. Yeah, sure it does. But do I want to hear it? I don't know. I don't know. I don't have that answer yet. It might just be again, how they execute it. If it's presented. Uh, that, that is a great answer uh, that I think it can sound like just a, like, yeah, it depends on execution. But I think with something like this, you're entirely right. The execution of what, uh, what the child is watching to, <laughs> to stay quiet uh, really, really matters. Um, where do you think Rebels lands? We talked a lot about the Clone Wars animated series getting into lots of uh, practicalities. Where do you think uh, Rebels lands? I think it is a great example. And, and you know, no doubt, uh, you know, Floney and team and, 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 and all his wonderful writers and, and producers that work on that have that balance of the emotional realism of this is what the, the Empire is in control and what does that look like? What does that feel like? These rebels have to go on supply runs. They have to connect with the, you know, shadowy figures in the galaxy to survive. Hondo's now funny. Uh, there's a lot of that stuff. Um, <laughs> very, though Hondo, I think, was funny in Clone Wars too, but he was threatening. Um, you know, so the, it's very realistic. It's very realistic, completely wrapped in the story of, uh, of, of myth. But then... Sabine, uh, her story, very realistic, very, dare I say, gritty, uh, creating a, a weapon that was used against her own people and, and family and, and being uh, separated from her family and that trauma. It's a big stuff. You go watch that Darksaber arc with her and everything. That's some big, dark stuff going on there. And it's very realistic, but it is a, uh, it's very romantic. It ends up, it all goes back towards that, that myth. Yeah, of what does uh, family mean? How do you choose to use your power? How do you you know correct a mistake you've made in the past? Can you be the best version of yourself? All those kind of mythic questions are at work in that arc, right? Yeah, it's, but it's all very realistic. Yeah, I, I'm also just in the middle of my, I'm halfway through my own rewatch. Just finished season two. And season two ends with giant mythical, magical, what happened to Ahsoka? Why is the convoy there? Whoa, you know, it's it's all that kind of stuff, but it's also very realistic state of the galaxy. Yeah, I, I'm going to start a Rebels rewatch myself soon. I'm so looking forward to it. Uh, but I think it makes a lot of sense that Filoni uh, and team, but Filoni leading it, would have given lots of thought to this, you know. And, and I think, I don't have any evidence of this, but my 
opinion is that there was probably some pressure on him uh, from Disney out of the gate to go rekindle the original trilogy feel, right? right. Uh, it's set in the original trilogy era, but obviously uh, Filoni is a huge fan of the prequel era and, and through the Clone Wars, you know, one of the main creators of a lot of these details. So I think he does an amazing job and the whole team does an amazing job in Rebels of balancing a little bit of that mystery of uh, the original tri trilogy of like, well, some questions shouldn't be answered. You shouldn't fully understand how the world between worlds works. You shouldn't fully understand uh, how and why these two holocrons spoke to each other. Uh, you can interpret the visions that some of our characters have in Jedi temples, but, you know, maybe there's some room for ambiguity. You know, what who, who or what exactly is the Bendu? There's all sorts of romantic things where there's room for ambiguity, there's room for discussion, but then you're right. Then there's also just like the day-to-day -day of like, we're on a run and Hera likes these kinds of fruit. <laughs> or, you know, uh, Lando's making money, so he's selling this kind of farm animal. Like this, this stuff that is much more realism, right? Yeah. Well, look, you got, you got, you got. You just mentioned uh, season three. We have perhaps the most fantastical, mythical character, the Bendu, and the most mundane, realistic character, Thrawn. Though he is a blue alien, I get it. You know what I mean? There's, there it is. There's realism versus romance, and right? Romance. Yeah, and they collide. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and and um, I would say romance and mysticism wins there uh, when the <laughs> it's giant a, sitting elk moose thing, whatever you think uh, the Bendu yeah. is, it has yeah. a little lightning fit, right? Um, yeah. Thrawn's like, I reject your mysticism. All right, I'll send you to somewhere you won't even know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I do realize that I have gone so far down the Star Wars rabbit hole that I referred to... Uh, puffer pigs, pigs that inflate as being realistic. So I, I will check myself. I understand. Oh, my puffer pigs. Oh, boy. <laughs> so realistic, the puffer pig. Um, let's talk about Resistance, uh, Star Wars Resistance animated series. Does it lean toward the realism, and how does that affect how you feel about it? I actually think it does. Pratt falls aside, and, and you know, in the end of the day, I do love it. And, and that series... The last few, if, if anyone out there is like me, kind of drifted off, not because you didn't like the first season, I really love the first season, but I just got behind on some content and I just was like, I'll catch up with this. And then I caught up with it and I loved it. And emotional realism, it's got some punch stuff at the end. Uh, I'm there for it. I think, yeah, I think it's more realistic than than you would give it credit for if you're just, uh, you know, stuck on OP, but the greatest character of all time. Next to <laughs> but yeah, it is, it is a, it's, it's a ship with a marketplace. It's a citizens trying to survive, trying to stay out of it, not concerned about the creeping evil. It's just now patrolling your own marketplace. Uh, um, all those kind of things. It's very realistic. Yeah. But, there's a bar with space starts. There's video games. There's, you know, <laughs> pets that pee on the floor. <laughs> oh, oh God. A lot there. And, uh, you know, family issues, uh, you know, not marriage issues, but like, you know, Dolza and his wife, uh, um, uh, Doza, I said Dolza like it was Robotech. Doza and his wife <laughs> have to, um, you know, they're 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 separated, not for any in, animus between them, but just like, you know, she's going off on this to to fight, join the resistance, and he's running this city. And uh, yeah, there's there's some very realistic things. There's a casino. I love the casino one because it reminds me of going to the Gold Coast every year for my wrestling convention. Like, <laughs> it's a Friday's restaurant, and that's about it. Um, I, 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 there's a lot of realism there, uh, and and it really digs into it in, in, in a surprising way. 
Yeah, yeah. No, I agree with you. And I think that uh, Resistance does have some great Star Wars themes, uh, absolutely about coming of age and, you know, challenging yourself to do the right thing, even when it's really terrifying, making the right or the wrong choice and and redemption and uh, the importance of family and found family and the legacy, uh, you know, the shadow of the past from, you know, Yeager's uh, experience in the rebellion and Doza's experience with the empire. It's got all these great themes that are extremely like mythic, traditional Star Wars storytelling stuff. But I think it is so for me, it is so just functionally about the day to day of Kaz has a job as a mechanic. He lives on this platform. He goes to this bar and eats this food. He's like, there's just so much about it that's so um, known. It's so it builds its world and it's very straightforward in there. And then the that really mythic, epic, romantic, unknowable side of Star Wars peeks in, like uh, the children terrified of Kylo Ren and an episode toward the end that's in a temple. Um, mm. there, there are little bits and pieces of the more the force side of Star Wars that poke in. Um, but I admit for me, I don't dislike Resistance. Uh, I really like it for everything that it that it does provide. The animation is beautiful. The acting is amazing. The ideas that are there are great. Um, I like seeing something that's pitched to a slightly younger audience. All that stuff is great. But it, it's uh, a revelation for me as a fan how much I miss the romance and the mystery of the Force and the Force-wielding characters, that they're not as much of a presence. Like... I, I have some moments where I'm watching the show where like, this is so Star Wars. Uh, like, There's a TIE fighter. There's a Chadra fan. You know, there's a this cool, bizarre ship. There's a strange big beast uh, in the ocean planet that they live on. This right. is all Star Wars. And yet sometimes it doesn't feel like Star Wars because I think it made uh, too much sense. Isn't quite right. It was um, it, it was. It, it it built a realistic world and then we sat there and lived in it. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I, Cause I have, um, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I'm right there with you too. Cause I, I hesitated to say I didn't like it. I just, I think it, it ends really strong and I loved, I loved, I loved a lot of things in it, but it didn't grab me like a lot of people, uh, but it w- wasn't necessarily built for us, but that could be some of it too. Mm. Yeah. We'll have to rewatch and figure that out. We will rewatch it. Yeah. And just for super clarity, I really like resistance. I'm not oh, actually yeah. criticizing it in any way. I think those are choices. I think there's all these different ingredients that you can put in a star Wars. And uh, for me, it was interesting to go, Ooh, I really like this dish, but I'm surprised by how much I miss this ingredient. And for me, it's more learning about myself and what I gravitate toward as a fan rather than any actual criticism of the show, just for clarity. Cause I know we got some, some big resistance fans and I'm in, uh, looking forward to doing a rewatch, and I consider myself a Resistance fan as well. Uh, speaking of things that a lot of us are fans of, let's talk The Mandalorian. Uh, the Mandalorian in general is seen as very gritty, but I think there are a lot of mysteries. Uh, how does a tracking fob work? Uh, why don't these Mandos take their helmets off? Uh, what is the deal with the child's species? All that kind of stuff. Where does The Mandalorian land for you on the romance versus realism? Here's where it does. It fooled y'all. <laughs> it said, hey, do you want an adult Star Wars? Do you want gritty? Is that what you need? You like the lived-in dark side bounty hunters doing evil things? Awesome. We're going to give you the biggest amount of fairy tale wonder you ever got. <laughs> right. And by episode two, that's why I love it so much. Just remember finishing it on that phone in that airport in Phoenix going, 
Oh, wow. This is going somewhere else that I did not expect. It's a tome poem, and I love it. And it is more Star Wars than even Favreau, who says it's not Star Wars, would care to admit. Right. I mean, the plot summary of episode two could be, and so the scavengers told the brave warrior that he must get the egg of the beast, right? I mean, it's it's so mythic. Um, and again, you know, it's emotional realism for sure. Uh, gritty emotional realism, great. And that's one of the things that makes it uh, really powerful. Uh, but I think uh, Favreau is such an original trilogy perspective guy. I think that Favreau was one of those guys in the theater going, a trade dispute? What the hell are you talking about? That's not Star Wars. Like, uh, so, and, you know, we know from behind the scenes that Filoni said, like, yeah, he's been telling me about the prequel trilogy. I guess it's real good. <laughs> yeah. Um, so oh, yeah. not to make too many assumptions about uh, what's going on behind the scenes, but just in terms of a, a piece of Star Wars, uh, the tracking, I can almost feel the original trilogy of the tracking fobs of like, yeah, uh, yeah. Do the speeder are the speeder bikes solar powered? Do they have gas? Who gives a crap? They're whipping through trees. Don't ask me again. Like to me, that's what the original trilogy is saying, right? And again, yeah. like no offense to people who have cross sections and know exactly how the speeder bikes are powered, but the movie itself doesn't care. And I feel like the Mandalorian is like they're tracking fobs because it's cool because it's a cool idea. I'm sure we can come up with an answer. It doesn't matter. That's not the point. Who cares how a tracking fob works? It's cool. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I love it. So I, I it, and that's how it won me over. I, I had, I had, um, I had some preconceived notions. That's my fault. That's my fault of just like, ah, oh, this is going to be realistic, gritty Star Wars. And, and it's yeah. got parts of that. Make no mistake. It's got parts of that. And I don't mind it aging up. I really don't. Mm-mm. Um, but it 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 it's Star Wars, and it needs to stick to that core principle, which Favreau has said, and Filoni, but Favreau said in interviews, that's the advice George gave me. Keep it there for 12-year-olds, dummy. <laughs> okay, so m- most important question, how do the tracking fobs work, Ken? D- uh, do you care, and do you have a theory? I do not care. <laughs> I've never cared. I love cross-sections, by the way. I love it more, though. Yeah. I want to see, like, I like locations more than ships unless the ship is a location like the falcon i was just playing force awakens the lego game on on my twitch channel this weekend and i got to the falcon part i'd never really finished the game and you're roaming around the falcon and i was kind of like i just was like oh this this is where those things are oh i love that so i do love that that's why i love maps love maps so i love vader's castle i want to see where the break room is like i I do want (laughs) where's the day sleep i do but this is why this is not and it's not a critic it's not i'm not Anyone who asks that question about tracking fobs and, and wants to know and needs it in their Star Wars, I don't got have a problem with you. I just don't have an answer for you. And I never. Yeah. Do. Yeah. I think I, I'm in this sort of in between place where, like, yeah, I want to know where tracking fobs, uh, how tracking fobs work. And I'm really happy that someday a book or a comic will probably tell me. Um, or if it becomes really narratively important and it's tied to something meaningful to a character's emotional journey, the Mandalorian TV show will tell me. So I have, I'm curious and I kind of love having a headcanon uh, of, of my own headcanon. I made up of how I think it probably works. I think that you need a sample uh, already of somebody's blood and that makes, or, or some sort of DNA, uh, Star Wars DNA, which makes it interesting story to me. Um, but I don't, uh, I don't need it in the show. 
and I am excited to get it when it comes. And until then, I'm excited to discuss it with other fans and find out how they think tracking fobs work. Absolutely. You know, if this was Star Trek, you know, uh, someone would be like, oh, it takes your blood. And we as a society should be careful with the blood samples we give. Don't sign up for 23andMe or I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, so last uh, bit of big Star Wars content to talk about is Rogue One and Solo. Um, they both uh, explain a lot from the original trilogy, the uh, realism perspective of giving answers to things that had been, you know, mysteries uh, mysteries before uh where do they land for you how do you feel about rogan's rogue one and solo's level of realism uh, versus romance i uh solo is just an absolutely romantic adventure i i i i i think we but it's got real like there's a train that they're robbing and that's romantic uh you know it's western stuff uh you know adam Witt and i were discussing the spotlight Star Wars on last weekend about it but like it's also very realistic that there's a train with a crew and specific troopers that are needed for that train. And it's a, it's a, you know, it's got to get point A to point B because the empire needs that stuff. So it's very realistic. Rogue one is realistic. It's the horrors of war, but it, it's still to me, it's still to me fuels into this romantic, I'm not making, don't want to make war romantic in real life at all, but it's not saving private Ryan. It's got, parts of that and it makes you feel that but it all pours into this is sparta let's seize the day go out on your shield type of uh, mysticism for me about some of the stuff and then it, it you know that's why i love the radis uh moment and all that stuff that you hear me talking about it because that's romantic right mm-hmm. that is the romance of the rebellion uh emerging to for this fight but it, along the way it teaches you the harsh realities of war there so it's rogue one's probably the most swims in the realism of, of the star Wars films here. I think maybe, of, maybe of all of them so far, um, you know, but, but I still think if, if you're not careful, you're going to miss that. It No, it all fuels to the romance. It all fuel fuels to the lessons learned and K2SO and Jen having their moment and, and uh, you know, uh, fathers and daughters and all the, it, it's all the big kind of romantic themes. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. I think it's got, it's got, as I've said many times, less, you know, fanciful, weird creatures. It's got the boar gullet, uh, super weird. It's got Vader's uh, castle. Uh, But then a lot of it is like, it's people with blasters on ships in penal colonies and getting, you know, information like digital information and transmitting it. And a lot of it is, you know, in, in tactics and sniper blaster configurations and, a lot of it is very, very uh, technical for st- on the technical side of Star Wars, on the mm-hmm. world building. This is how this all functionally works. But yeah, I agree with you. It is ultimately all of that serves this mythic idea. If, if you look at different stories of, you know, what are they wrestling with? I feel like Rogue One is wrestling with what is a fantasy example of getting to the point where there is no choice but to fight. And that that's Jin's yeah. story, right? Of she feels in that situation, you know, that line and paraphrasing about like, if we give in once to an enemy, this evil with this much power, you know, we'll be giving in forever, very much paraphrasing. But I feel like it, it's, it's answering that mythic question of, you know, when, when do you, when are you Senator, uh, Noah Jabel? <laughs> right. <laughs> just, yeah. It's like, it can't, can't be done. This is ridiculous. And when is it Jin Erso with the full, full knowledge of the horror of war? saying but we have no choice 
Rogue One is a very realistic tale of needing to fight for the magical concept of hope. Yeah. 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 And I, yeah, I, I think it is. Um, I think that's where its power comes from, even though it is a little bit more grounded uh, than uh, other Star Wars stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I agree with you, Solo. Um, you know, I think we've talked about Solo a lot. It's, it's definitely got some uh, functional realism, as, as you said. Uh, again, I realize it's getting weird to be talking about realism uh, when this is a story of how a young man met his large dog friend. Uh, but uh, I, I do think it is, it's so much a coming-of-age story, right? And it is so much a, a mythic story of... Uh, how, how how do you escape, uh, escape uh, oppression when you have nothing um and it's such a large theme in solo and such it just moves so fast and it's got you know creatures and train robberies and you know all sorts of great uh, romantic stuff so uh as we begin to wrap up our conversation let's look towards the future do you want to see more star wars that veers into the romantic and the mythic and the mysterious and for you what would that look like if it was something that was really emphasizing that side of star wars I think, yeah, obviously I think I'm, I'm going to say, hey, lean towards the romance. But I, I would like, particularly with like the Jedi and the Jedi Order, I, I would like some starting to get some maybe realistic answers of how they formed or what do they deal with. I, I love the realistic idea of the High Republic of it's still kind of uh, the new frontier and things are being settled. That's very realistic and it's going to be wrapped up in some romance. I think going to that um, mythical, mysterious, particularly if you're talking about if they ever really do touch upon the origins of of Sith Jedi all that kind of stuff I think even though that will give answers you know it will mm-hmm. it will be like uh, is, are that are we gonna have Darth Bane going I think black and red should be our theme <laughs> oh there's only one other person asked thought yeah okay great I, I we might get some of that but that it that it just really feels like it is it, it is a mystery a legend of old I, I, you know and I, I know I'm just giving the answer it's just the, hey give me the balance I know it's simple but that's where I'd want it to go yeah, yeah, no, that makes sense. That makes sense. Uh, in terms of uh, realism, do you ever want to see a scene uh, where an early Sith comes up with a long list of Darth names? Yes. <laughs> and, and, and it's in a book somewhere, and that's why Palpatine just has it ready to go. Like, <laughs> this is like, the next one up on the list. Yeah. It's a baby name. Like, I've, I've picked a lot out. You're Darth Vader. Yes, that's right. <laughs> that's yeah, and I know there's more stuff in Legends, and uh, and mean no disrespect, just having having some fun with the old Darth and the Sith. Um, for myself, with the Star Wars that veers into the romantic, uh, I think the High Republic is going to have a real balance because it's books, and there's always a little bit more realism, uh, and it certainly seems like there's going to be some real. This is how the galaxy functions. This is how the Jedi uh, Order functions. But it also, I'm really enticed by this idea that it is this adventure into the unknown parts of you know the outer rim and you know the outer inner rim um and i'm really hoping for some stories where jedi encounter worlds and societies and creatures that they don't fully understand yet and it is really an adventure into the unknown that it is just uh jedi who who don't believe in absolutes are only sometimes going to come to a very specific belief but are more open to the idea of mystery encountering things that they don't fully understand yet. And I think that's just such a great exploration for the, you know, emotional realism of, of humanity that we don't always have all the answers and exploring that through uh, Jedi and weird temples and Sith beliefs and Bendu creatures. Uh, oh man, I want it all. Yeah. We, and it's interesting to, you know, I, I hear 
I hear, I hear myself say often how much I, I love the story of the rebellion versus the empire. I love boots on the ground stuff. I love my biker scouts. You guys have heard me for five years now talk about that stuff. But it's interesting how I do I do push it all towards the romance and how on the other, on the flip side, sometimes I am challenged by weird egg creatures in the Poe Dameron comic. Uh, the Bendu I love, but I sometimes think about what the hell's the Bendu? War, World Between Worlds is my perhaps one of my favorite episodes of Rebels, that, that, that one particular episode. I don't I definitely didn't want to see it in film, you know, like so I yeah. have this weird balance myself. And that's why I still don't even at the end of this wonderful episode, I'm still like, hey, it's 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 always good to analyze what you love about Star Wars so you can make sure you you, you can find it and connect with it and whatever they put out because it's 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 readily available in all things Star Wars. So it's an interesting journey because I'm hearing you describe this stuff and what might the High Republic might be, Joseph. And I'm like, you're right. They could run into a giant race of lizard people <laughs> like, like Godzilla's. Would I want that? But that's definitely romantic, you know, like so it's, it's interesting and I love it. And I love that it, that would even challenge me. Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool to think about how much the, this balance in romance and realism forms what is this very unique flavor of Star Wars. Uh, I want to ask this question from the other perspective, too. If you're going to have a, a new piece of Star Wars storytelling that leans into the the practical and like we really know this person's daily routine, we know where they get their clothes made, um, that leans into the world building of Star Wars uh, in the realism, what would you want to see? A straight answer is the actual formation of the Jedi Order, which would seem boring. It's a little prequel era, right? Like, cool, Jedi Prime's here. We all feel connected to this thing. Y'all want to form a team? Wear some robes? Who's going to build the rules? That would not seem to be super, super exciting. But I think there's a there's some realism to, to play around with there that would be interesting to me that would then feel like they would be at war with themselves, uh, emotional war. Like yeah, let's 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 form this team. Should we have ranks? Like that, you know. But wait, but wait, no, no. We're here for the force, and there's there probably be some debates, and you know, I don't, I know it, it'd be a, a formation of of something important to our story that could be very, very realistic. That said, I also would enjoy Star Wars Palpatine picks the outfits, and just that's the joke I always make about. <laughs> Palpatine, uh, Sheev, uh, going, all right, pretty soon I'm going to launch something. We're going to have a brand change. Uh, we're going to get some new logos and some new branding. Um, let's, let's come to, uh, let's, let me, everyone, uh, we'll have an open, uh, think piece uh, meeting here around the, the, the zoom call. No idea is bad. I wouldn't mind. <laughs> nice. Nice. Uh, yeah, I think for myself, for the uh, the technical uh, realism side, a lot of people have uh, talked about, I, I saw in yet another conversation on social media with some uh, great uh, writer friends talking about the political Star Wars show they want to do. And one, one uh, writer was like, I really, I've read that Tarkin book and I still think there's room. I want to I show that's really House of Cards starring Tarkin. That's, you know, his political rise. Or I know a lot of people have said like, yeah, I would have be happy to see the the life of young, young Sheev Palpatine and how he begins and and all that kind of stuff. Um, if you can call a story about a, a evil space wizard in training a realistic show, but I think getting into that sort of political side, you know, the the rise of Mon Mothma, all that stuff, I think, is a level of realism that I'm really engaged with in Star Wars, and I'd be happy to see that. Um, or you know, a lot of the books have, as we've talked about with Alphabet Squadron. Um, and uh, both of the Battlefront books have really uh, dealt with, as you say, like boots on the ground with uh, people really 
living these very, very real and very difficult lives in the course of war. You know, we talked a couple of weeks ago about a band of brothers type story. I'd be up for that as well, because I do like yeah. the realism side of Star Wars. Yep. Yep. It just all has to funnel back into that uh, mythical center. Yeah, yeah. Oh, this is great. I'm really glad that we had this conversation because I think it'll be useful for us going forward when we're wrestling with things we don't like or trying to understand other people's perspective, that this is one filter that you can look at Star Wars through of, oh, yeah, it would be great to get that answer, but would that answer make it feel less mythic of like, oh, it's great that it's so romantic, but is it so too distracting to not have that answer and all those kind of balances that, uh, that we can play with. Love it. No, this is a lot of fun. Uh, I'm sorry if I got any uh, weird soapboxes earlier, but. Uh, oh, hey, I think uh, I think it's OK to, to have a soapbox every once in a while. I think we're we try to be very clear where we're coming from, that we are sharing our ideas and that we're always interested in hearing other perspectives as well. Um, I have a question that I would like to wrap up with, Ken. It's hmm. a little bit of a fun question. Do you ever want to see Darth Vader eat or drink in a movie? And uh, before you answer. I, I Googled because I thought in all of legends, I bet Vader did some eating and drinking. And I found a very, very fun sentence from the legends tab uh, of the article on Darth Vader's armor on Wikipedia. Uh, here's a sentence. Though liquid, though liquids were preferable, he still had the capacity to chew if he wished, though a nutrient feed provided Vader with all the nourishment he required in the event that he did desire oral consumption he would ingest rep med vita paste via straws located inside the grills of his face mask. So those are some of the legends answers to Darth Vader's eating and drinking. This is why he fell. And this is why, uh, well, he remained evil until, until the end. If you can't just enjoy a slice of pizza or a deli sandwich or an ice cream and a cake, <laughs> you're going to be pretty cantankerous, grumpy and angry. That's why Vader yeah. knew who he was. If you got to take pizza paste through a straw into your grills, mm. <laughs> yeah. that's not, there's no way to live. Yeah. Yeah. He's more machine than man now. Can't even have a hot dog. Yeah. yeah. Very upsetting. Uh, so, with uh, the, the answer, the knowledge that there are legend answers in mind in modern canon, uh, do you ever want to see Darth Vader eat and drink? No. And I'll tell you <laughs> why. As a kid, big G.I. Joe fan, and, and the first G.I. Joe miniseries cartoon event, uh, Cobra Commander, uh, who had many different looks over the years, but most famous was the all-glass face mask. Uh, there is an episode, I think Destro shows up to talk to him, handle some business, and uh, Cobra Commander has a turkey leg. And, <laughs> and, I, and I do believe, if less memory serves me wrong, and that's possible, there's a bite out of the turkey leg, or he's about to eat it. That's haunted me my entire life, Joseph. <laughs> Why is the mask on? Why is it off? Does Cobra Commander have a preference? A turkey, chicken, ham, all of them? A turducken. I can't. I can't wrap my head around it. It destroys the myth of this evil uh, terroristic uh, leader. And, uh, and I, I just, I don't want that for Darth Vader. Yeah, I understand. I understand. It, you, I don't want the scene where, you know, it's uh, he's on the uh, bridge of the executor uh, and it's uh, somebody's birthday and everybody else is eating cake and Vader's sad. Keep passing it, Milton. Keep passing it, Vader. <laughs> he throws it with the force. Yeah. Uh, but, Piet, uh, th but Piet, then there's that piece, Piet, Piet, get a piece, get a piece. 
<laughs> I, I, I was told I could have the cake. Um, yeah, but then there's that part of me that I always like the challenge of this is, is there a way to take that realism and make it romantic? Is there a way to do this a horrifying scene of the, you know, the feeding tubes being introduced to the, uh, the Bakta tank? So right. you feel the horror of not being able to actually enjoy food as a sensual thing, but it's just, you know, another of the uh, pleasures, another of the sort of sensory experiences of life that's been uh, devoid from him. And this is, you know, yet another example of what he has lost. Is it possible to do that? Or does it just feel like, yeah, we're, we're uh, hooking up the, uh, the slushy feed to Darth Vader. Like, can you do it? Can you get past the realism to make it romantic? I think you can. I think you can. We might need uh, George to come back for that. We might need, yeah, we might need, it, it takes George Lucas to feed Darth Vader. That's where we've come down. Ken, I thought this was going to be a shorter episode. I was wrong. Uh, I was clearly uh, not thinking realistically at all. But that is our big look at uh, romance versus realism in Star Wars. I think it took us to uh, even some surprising places that you and I weren't expecting. And that's always uh, delightful to do on the podcast. But why don't you uh, go ahead and take us home with all the places where people can find us? Absolutely. If you're on Twitter, look for us at Force Center Pod. Use the hashtag Force Center. Join that conversation. Like our Facebook page. Find us on Instagram, YouTube, podcasts available on a lot of different spots like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and more. We have merch available at tpublic.com slash user slash Force Center. And patreon.com slash Force Center is where you can support us there. That's a realistic ask with a romantic dream attached to it. We also <laughs> got our own things working on. Uh, you can follow me at Ken Napsock uh, and go to KenNapsock.com for information on upcoming shows, uh, events, books, and uh, the charity spotlight tab. Joseph. Excellent. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Joseph Scrimshaw. You can check out my website, josephscrimshaw.com, for all sorts of other comedy adventures, comedy albums, comedy podcasts, comedy book. Uh, if you would like to help people get their voice out and vote this election, you can go to a place called voteforward.org. It is uh, actually votefwd.org. You write some letters to people to try to encourage them in a realistic way to use their romantic power to vote and that is it for this episode for myself for ken for the mysteries of darth vader's feeding procedures this has been force center up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.